Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. Good morning, church. It's great to be with you all this morning. Hey, we are approaching the end of our series. We have two more weeks left in the fundamentals, disciplines that change lives. We've gone through praying, reading the Bible, seeking after community, finding rest, living a life of worship. And my one question to all of us, myself included, as we've gone through this entire series, is are you asking yourself, how am I doing? How are you doing in this entire series of spiritual disciplines? Are you living in to the greater things? Are you living in to something, possibly, that requires you to give up something lesser in order to experience the greater? But I would encourage you that in the midst of this series, that this isn't just about you and me. It's not just a personal thing that we are living into. I'm look to the person sitting beside you. When you see them, you begin to understand that when you live into the spiritual disciplines, you're not just doing something for your own benefit, but you're coming around them and saying, I believe that there's something greater for which I can live into that's going to benefit you as well. When you, when we decide to live into the spiritual disciplines, it's not just changing our lives, it is setting the foundation for which our neighbors begin to experience God and his wholeness. Because when we become more like Christ, our neighbors begin to experience more of Christ. When we don't live into these spiritual disciplines, when we say, no, these aren't quite for me, we are turning away from our neighbor and saying, I'm not going to show you Jesus in this moment. And so we've gone through all of these spiritual disciplines. We have two more weeks left. And so today, today we talk over the very interesting topic of fasting. Something that we see all throughout scripture and yet how many of us truly actually understand or what it is or, or why we do it or what exactly is involved. And you're wondering if I'm going to ask all of us to do a 40-day fast after this series. And I'm not. I'm not. But it is this ambiguous topic Is it truly a spiritual discipline? Why are we fasting? Why are we giving up something, in particular food? Who wants to do that? Is that really going to make me more like Christ? I want to share a personal story with you. Many of you know uh, of my college experience. When When I left this church, when I went to Toledo, it was a time of, of a lot of doubt in my life. It was a time of a lot of confusion, pain. For five years, I went through this program, constantly questioning, constantly doubting, wondering if I was enough, wondering if that was the right track for me. There were times where I'm like, this is not good. I enjoyed zero of it. Well, not zero of it, but... And when I went back to Toledo just the other week, I went back to Toledo and I was going to study on campus. And as I was sitting in the library watching all of these 
college students walk by. I mean, I was looking out the window and I was seeing as they were all navigating uh, the courtyard and whatnot to get to their classes. That same pain, that same confusion, that same feeling of loneliness began to sweep over me. But in the midst of all of that, I mean, it was much, it was so, in this, the negative form of nostalgia, if you will, in the same way that music will bring us back to that same feeling that we often associate with that one song, the setting, the scenery that was around me, the people that were around me, all of the insecurities came flooding back. But in the midst of that pain, in the midst of those insecurities, in the midst of the doubt and confusion now, like, whoa, why am I feeling this right now? I'm seven years removed from this setting. And in the midst of it, I saw where God had brought me to this day, where I'm at right now. Not because my life is perfect and I have everything figured out. A lot of you know me and you're like, yeah, your life isn't figured out. And praise God. But it led me to ask the question, what if, what if the Justin of yesterday could have seen the Justin of today while he was there? What if the Justin of yesterday could see the Justin of today, could see me before all of you and experience the, the zeal, experience the passion, experience the desire and the fulfillment, knowing that he had brought me, that God had brought me to this place from loneliness and doubt and confusion and wondering what in the world my life meant in this place to this point in time to where I'm experiencing some of the greatest satisfaction, not because my life is figured out, but because I believe I'm living into what God has ordained for me. Amen. What if the Justin of yesterday could see the Justin of today? to experience the treasure of today back then. And friends, today, I believe this is where fasting comes into play. Because the fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, when we fast, when we fast, we are deciding to give up something lesser a convenience of this world to go after something greater. And it's what happens in the midst of this. It's what happens in the midst of the self-denial that we are then pursuing after something greater in that moment so that we can begin to experience tomorrow's treasures today in God. Well, I think we have to first ask the question, what exactly is fasting? Well, this is just my personal definition. Fasting is a sabbatical from the, convenience of the, the conveniences of this world that often distract us from the treasures of God. It's a time of self-denial in its most simple form. And hear me out. I'm not saying, I'm not saying the conveniences of this world are often bad. They're not. Food, you can hear it right now, food is not bad. We don't give up food in a time of fasting because food is evil. But what we do when we fast is that we're saying, I'm going to give up a convenience of this world to make sure that my heart is centered on the treasures of God. So that we can experience tomorrow's promises in the midst of temporarily giving up something today. And then ground ourselves in those promises. Because we can't go perpetually without food. So in the midst of us fasting, we say, I'm going to give this up right now so that I can just center myself and concentrate myself on the idea that God has something greater in store for me. 
and we ground ourselves for a time. In many ways, fasting becomes that tune-up that we need. The tune-up that allows us to face the challenges that are going to come today and tomorrow. Because friends, whether we believe it or not, it's, we're told in scripture that this idea of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ, that we're, the one thing that we are all striving for in the future, that reality is present for us today. And yes, it is something that we're striving for in the future, but it's a promise that is told. We can go to the book of Colossians, and we're told that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that in that moment, you have been transferred from one kingdom into the kingdom of God. And it's a past tense. You have been transferred It's not saying you will one day be transferred. It's not yet to come, but there is a reality right now from yesterday's or tomorrow's promises that we can begin to experience today. It's just a matter, are we willing to pursue the greater in place of the lesser? This is where fasting comes into play. So that in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of doubting and questioning who we are, whether we're enough or not, and whether uh, our identity can withstand the pressures of this world, we can be grounded on a foundation that goes well beyond our own desires, our own challenges, our own struggles. And so today I want to give us two examples. There's examples all throughout scripture. I want to give us two examples of two people who fast in scripture. And I believe when we begin to see how these two practiced and then experienced the reality that came from fasting, all of a sudden our understanding of fasting will shift. First and foremost, Exodus 34. If you'll join me there. Exodus 34, starting in verse 28. Now, before we read, before we read Exodus 34... I want us to have a context for what's going on here. Uh, We're going to be diving into just a brief moment of the life of Moses. Moses was the leader of the Israelites back several thousand years ago. And in the midst of him leading them out of slavery from Egypt, they get to this point in time to where, okay, what's next for us, God? What's next for us? And so Moses has gone up to the mountain, Mount Sinai, for the second time. This is the second time up Mount Sinai. And it's in this moment that he's receiving the Ten Commandments. We all know what the Ten Commandments are. He's receiving the Ten Commandments. And this is where where we find him. This is where we find him. Exodus 34, verse 28. Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant, law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near to him, to come near him. So immediately we see already in the second book, of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, halfway through the book of Exodus, we get to this point in time to receive Moses having not eaten or drank anything for 40 days and 40 nights. If we're looking at the Hebrew and the Greek, the word fast isn't even used in this context. But this is the first example of someone going without in order to experience the greater. 
40 days and 40 nights. In the midst of being with God, Moses begins to experience, has experienced a greater, the greater reality. For 40 days and 40 nights, Moses had zero distractions. He was on top of a mountain, a large rock, with nothing else around him but him and God and two tablets of stone. There were no other distractions. And in this time, in this time, God's glory was beginning to determine how Moses was going to lead a stiff-necked, lack-of-faith nation. And as Moses spent this time with God, his entire physical nature was altered. He came down the mountain and he was literally glowing. In this time, Moses began to experience, Moses did experience a greater reality of having been changed physically, externally, for the world to see that when he spent that time with God, the people would be without doubt that he had just spent this uninterrupted, set aside, intentional time with him. This is what happens when we begin to see Moses in this time of fasting. But here's what's even greater. As Moses walked off this mountain, he wasn't simply shining and glowing and radiant. But Moses walked off this mountain of victory. I love our staff meetings because this is, as we are reflecting over this reality of Moses and fasting and then Jesus later on, we begin to realize They helped me realize Moses walked off this mountain of victor. Because here's what's crazy. Moses had one job, lead my people to the promised land. Guess what? Moses never got to the promised land. And yet in the midst of all of this, he never stopped being victorious. Why? Because when he came off that mountain, he had discovered his purpose, he had discovered his place, and he had been given an identity in God. This is the ultimate victory. Nothing can shake this. Nothing can defeat this. He found his purpose, his place, and his identity. Moses was not in heaven, and yet he was experiencing the reality of being with God. Friends, today, right now, in this moment, we are considered, you and I, to be transferred over to the kingdom of God And if the kingdom of God isn't heaven right now, then I don't know what is because I believe that heaven is wherever God is dwelling. And if you and I are told that we have God dwelling within us, then you and I are walking embodiments of the reality of heaven in the same way that Moses walked down the mountain and was glowing. You and I have the spiritual transformation to say, I am not myself anymore. I live and I am Christ. And I'm demonstrating and living out Christ before all of you. This, regardless of the struggle, regardless of the challenges, regardless of the doubt and pain and confusion, this is what begins to happen when we set aside a time and say, God, I'm not going to be distracted. I'm going to put away the conveniences of the world just temporarily so that I can ground myself and focus myself on you. And in this moment, we begin to realize that this kingdom that we've been transferred over isn't all about us, but it's about our neighbors as well. Because as Moses walked down this mountain, he wasn't glowing for his own benefit. He was glowing so that the people of God could see that he was the leader ordained by God. This is the greater reality that fasting then leads us to. Now, Moses was in the Old Testament. 
So now I want to jump to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 4, if you'll join me there. Matthew chapter 4. And friends, I want to tell you right now, this, this is where studying the Bible becomes amazing. It becomes really, really cool because elsewhere in Scripture, in the book of Deuteronomy, we are told that Moses is telling his people that someday, one day, one day, there will be a prophet just like Moses who would come to deliver the people, his people, their people, and that there would be a greater prophet. There would be someone just like him. And this prophet, it was considered, it was realized, it was understood by the Israelites and the Jews of that day that this prophet would be the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ, the hope by which everything was founded and grounded. That this man, when he came, he would be the new king. He would be establishing a new reality, a new kingdom, and he would save the world. This was understood by the Israelites of this time, that there was going to be a new and greater Moses. So I want you to keep this in mind. As we read just the first two verses of Matthew chapter 4, keep that in mind. Because we are told that there would be something very similar. There would be similarities between Moses and this new prophet. Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He was hungry. Now, <laughs> this seems a little on, on the nose, yes? Okay, we can understand this. We can begin to see, like, wait a minute, okay, if I know that there's going to be a greater prophet, a greater Moses doing something even greater than what Moses was doing, then I'm looking for some signs that are going to tell me, hey, this is the new and greater Moses. And the Israelites, they would have completely understood that and they would have remembered that Moses spent this 40 days and 40 nights with God for the greatest mission the world had ever seen as he led the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt. And now the Israelites, reading the book of Matthew, the Jews of this day are reading this and they're like, oh snap. Oh snap. Jesus is the greater prophet. He is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And friends, let me tell you, we are not told what those 40 days and 40 nights were like for Jesus. We're told what happens at the end as he's being tempted. We're not told, though, what that time was like during the 40 days and 40 nights. But one thing we can be certain, one thing that we don't have to be told, we can know that Jesus spent that uninterrupted time, that set-aside time, that intentional time between him and God. God the Father. Because if you've ever seen the wilderness of Israel, it isn't, it isn't full of woods and, and trees and, and all of these plants. It is desert. And in the same way that Moses spent time on a rock for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus spent his time in the midst of the rocks for 40 days and 40 nights, preparing for the greatest the greatest love story, the greatest adventure, the greatest thing the world would ever see, ever. God used the events of yesterday, God used the events of Moses to show what he was doing in that day through Jesus. Now look at this, through the power of fasting, Christ too, Christ too became victorious. Christ left that wilderness, not because he had defeated the challenges of Satan, which we'll briefly touch on today, 
as he went and he was tempted on numerous occasions. He wasn't victorious because he defeated Satan in those temptations. He was victorious because in that moment, it was this understanding as Christ had emptied himself to become fully human, he had been given a place, a purpose, and an identity that would radically change the world. And as Jesus left that wilderness, he was then empowered to live out this mission, to lead a people back to him, to be reconciled back to God. Defeating Satan's temptations did not make Jesus the victor because fasting had already taken care of making him victorious. And I don't want to jump into each of these temptations. That would be another three sermons. We're not going to do that today. But I do want to highlight, look at the way that Christ is being tempted. That first temptation, he was, he was tempted to doubt the provision of God. To doubt if God would actually provide for him. Satan then continued to go on and, and, and questioned, hey, will God protect you? Is God actually going to protect you in this life? Throw yourself down from this temple, from this mountain, whatever, whatever it was. I forget the details. Throw yourself down and allow him to protect you. Will God actually protect you? We see Christ was being tempted to doubt and question his purpose and his place in the Father's plan for the world. And on top of it all, Christ was being tempted to question his identity. If, Satan said, if you are the, actually the son of God, if you are the son of God, then prove it. Prove it. Prove God. If you are the son of God. Friends, today, friends, today, I, I'm, I, during my college years, and even still today, there are times, my life's not perfect or completely figured out, and maybe you can resonate with this. Oftentimes I go through life questioning, is God actually going to provide in this, in this manner? Is God actually going to protect from this? Is God, is God going to give me a purpose and a plan? I was questioning all of this. And on top of it all, I was questioning my identity in God. Was I enough? Am I enough? All of these temptations began to come in. And friends, I'm telling you right now, there are ways that I tried to fix those temptations. There are ways that I, I strove after. I strove to uh, make my college time secure and, and after academics and after friendships and after so many other things that I was trying to say, this is my identity, this is my purpose. I finally figured out if I just, if I just graduate with this major, I'm gonna go off and do this. And I was resting my entire purpose in God's plan for my life and my identity and what I could figure out for myself. I don't know about you. Maybe I'm the only one who ever struggles with this, who has insecurities, who questions how I'm gonna get through the next day but something tells me I'm not the only one. You see, the fact of the matter is, truth is put in its proper place. Truth is secured in its proper place as our foundation in the midst of fasting. I mean, think about it, friends. Think about how Jesus was tempted by Satan. Think about the ways that you are often tempted. Forced to question and doubt. Forced to wonder, is this going to be enough? What more can I do? How can I keep on adding to my list of to-dos in order to ensure my own security? We question and doubt if God's going to provide. We question and doubt the protection of God. Is he going to be there? Is he going to watch over us? 
And friends, please hear me, because what I'm about to say, I pray that you'll hear me in love. I pray that you'll hear me in love, but see the truth no less. Where God says, spend time with me, find your foundation in me, find your security in me, set aside a time for me, this uninterrupted, take a time to set away, maybe it's no food, maybe it's no social media, maybe whatever it is, take a time to where you're not going to be distracted from anything else and spend this time with me to experience the treasures of me. This is what God is telling us right now. This is the purpose of fasting, not to have answers for anything, but to ground ourselves in the truths and the promises that God has for us. And God is saying, spend time with me. Fast, deny yourself in order to experience me. But friends, today, we live in a culture that says, no, in the midst of doubt, in the midst of concern, in the midst of confusion and pain, you discover your own truth. You follow desire after your heart. You discover what feels good for you, and that will be enough. That is your truth. Friends, today, we live in a culture that says, if you desire anything, then pursue that, and that will be your fulfillment. Friends, today, I'm telling you, it's the problem when we struggle and we go after our own desires without consoling or reconciling or going after God, that is when the problems begin. It's the same way that Satan tempted Eve. He goes into the garden and Eve had all of these amazing things around her with one command. Do not eat from these two trees. Do not eat from this fruit, this fruit from this tree. And Satan comes up and says, did God really say this? And he begins to make her question the commands of God. And so all of a sudden Eve saw what what she deemed to be beautiful and luscious and was going to give her wisdom. And she ate Friends, when we pursue the desires of our hearts without going back to God first, that's when the problems begin. We live in a culture, friends, and hear me, please hear the love in this. We live in a culture to where we're telling our kids, you can be whatever sex you, you want. We're telling our kids, you can, you can love whomever you want to love. It doesn't matter if they're the same sex or not. We're telling our kids, hey, go experience the party life. Go live that drunkenness experience it because it's going to be freeing. We're telling our kids, hey, go have sex before marriage because it's going to make you feel better. We're telling our kids, porn's okay because it's going to make you feel better. Friends, when we begin to pursue the desires after our heart, when we follow the ways of culture, all of a sudden we have problems like we've never seen before. Because we are taking our desires and equating them to be truth. We are taking what we want and equating them to be truth because we are setting aside time with God and saying, I don't need you. All I need is what I want. Friends, we are told in the book of Romans, we are told that the wrath of God didn't come down in bolts of lightning like we often characterize God to be. The wrath of God is demonstrated in this. When he allows us to have anything we've ever wanted. Because it's in the midst of having everything that we've ever wanted that we become jealous, that we become angry, that we become bitter, that we become revilers of anything good. And then we say, we take what is evil and we define it as good and then we blame God for all the evil in the world. Friends, hear the love. Hear the love. God wants us to experience something greater beyond our own heart's desires. But it doesn't stop there, friends, because we live in small-town America. We're shielded, right? The sinners are on the East Coast and the West Coast. We're good right here in the Midwest. 
Friends, today, it doesn't stop with what we deem to be the sinful lifestyle. Friends, so often I have to catch myself because sometimes I live the quote-unquote moral life simply for the moral life. I'm telling you right now that Jesus was more on fire, just as, if not more on fire, to take down and bring down the moral elitists as he was those who were considered sinners. Because moralism, living a moral life just simply for the sake of moral life, is continually centered on me. It's me looking at my life and weighing against somebody else and saying, I am better than them. I am the reason this world hasn't gone completely to chaos. It's only self-centered. And so we can think all we want about this quote-unquote sinful lifestyle, the sinful culture that has us, but there are two things going on here. Yes, you have this wave that's saying, you do you, you do you, you do you, the homosexual movement, the transgender movement, abortion, drunkenness, pornography. Yes, I said it, but please hear the love in the midst of this. But it doesn't stop there. It is these people, it is you and I who say we are greater morally. And we isolate ourselves from the rest of the world and we sit on top of our high horses as moral elitists and Christ was going around and defeating them as much as he was the sinners of that time. Friends, today the entire evil of this world is when we say the conveniences of the world are for me. When we say my desires equal truth. The evil of this world is us. And to say that we should trust ourselves and our hearts and say, you do you, you go after you, you experience whatever you want to experience. It'd be like giving a a child a million dollars and saying, you go do with this whatever you want and trusting them to make the right decisions. Friends, today, fasting, fasting is what begins to center us on who we are in God. It grounds us, it centers us, and in the midst of spending that time with God, we become victorious. We're not victorious simply because our lives are figured out, because we no longer have temptations, or because of X, Y, Z, and we live this successful life. We are victorious because we have determined our purpose, we have determined our place, and we have determined our identity in and through God. And this is the power of fasting. This is the power of fasting. It reorients our minds, it reprioritizes our hopes, and reorganizes our securities. When Satan tempts us by saying, wouldn't God want you to be happy? Fasting is what reminds us that our heart's desires are so misleading and that there is something greater. Believe me, friends, if you were going to accept this invitation to begin living into these spiritual disciplines, fasting being one, if you want to experience fasting the entire time, if you've, ever, if you've never fasted before, that first time of fasting, you will do nothing but think about the thing that you are fasting from. It's difficult, but hear me out. The fact that you can't think of anything else other than the thing that you are fasting from demonstrates and shows how misleading and how easily your heart is distracted by the things of God. How easily we say, and, we, and it shows just how reliant we have become on the conveniences of the world. Again, not because they're bad, but in the sense that if we are reliant upon them, we are missing what God would have for us. By taking a sabbatical from, from a convenience of this world, we temporarily do away with the distraction so that we can focus ourselves on the truths of God. 
when we practice the discipline of fasting, we follow in the footsteps of Moses and Jesus. And let it be known, it's not about fasting from one thing so we can replace it with another convenience. We fast so that we can ground ourselves in the truths of God. This is the difficult part. This is the challenge. Moses and Jesus, they had zero distractions around them. But friends, today, I'm not sitting here and telling you that we all need to go do these 40-day fasts. Look at what's being done here. Moses was called by God to go to Mount Sinai. Jesus was led by the Spirit to experience the 40-day fast in the wilderness. My question to you is, what is the Spirit leading you to do? Where is the Spirit leading you to go? What in your life needs to be temporarily done away with so you can experience the greater things of God? Fasting is self-denial that ultimately leads to us being victors in God and helping others become victors in God as well. Look what Moses and Jesus both did after they came down from their fast. They led a broken, stiff-necked, lack-of-faith people to experience the promises of God. Fasting is the foundation by which we no longer realize that we are all about it, but we take it and we recognize that we are leading people all around us perpetually. Friends, today my question to you is what do you need to fast from? What little convenience of this world is keeping you from experiencing the fullness of God's joy, peace, and love? What is distracting you? Where is the Spirit leading you? Friends, I'm going to tell you right now, this is a little embarrassing. I'm going to be a little vulnerable with you because it's a little bit childlike, if I'm just being completely straightforward. As I was preparing for the sermon, I recognized that I needed to do a fast of my own. I needed to do a fast of my own. And recognizing that fasting isn't just about giving up a food which is a powerful experience. Let me just throw that out there right now. Fasting from food is a powerful experience. But this past week, I I, I fasted from social media, scrolling, absently scrolling on social media, and watching streaming services, Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, whatever it might be. And even I myself, man, that was, you, you get home, you get home, and the first thing you want to do is if your mind is concentrated on those things, you just want to absently scroll or turn on a, a streaming service. Friends, in that time, you begin, I began to understand just how much time and how much my heart was reliant upon these simple conveniences. On how easily my heart was distracted. Friends, today, parents, I'm asking you, I'm asking you, Do your children see you live out a life of self-denial? How are your children experiencing you to live out a life of self-denial and as you model and lead them to say that there is something greater in this life? Do your children see you as victorious in God regardless of the circumstances? Or do they only think that you're victorious on the good days? Friends, again, this isn't about going off and do these, doing these amazing 50 million day fasts. This is for each and every one of us. What will you give up this week? I'm challenging you. Hear this challenge. What will, and if you're sitting here and saying, well, I'm not giving up anything, my question to you is why? Why? Why, why is there nothing in your life that you are willing to give up in order to experience the fullness of God? It's time that fasting no longer is this ambiguous thing. And friends, much like praying, we don't have to understand why it works. 
we just see this spiritual discipline modeled for us, led for us biblically, for us to then pattern our lives after, knowing that God is on the move in the midst of doing so. As a pastor, I get questioned, why am I not experiencing the peace, love, and joy of God? My question back to them is, how are you pursuing God? That's what these spiritual disciplines are all about. Not me coming up here and saying, this is how we're doing everything wrong. This is me exhorting you, inviting you, would you experience the greater in light, in place of the lesser. The realities of kingdom are here for us now. Would you partake? And would you show your children and those around you the radiance and the glory of the God that lives within you? Amen? Father, we come to you this morning. We love you and we praise you. Father, Lord, would you give us the courage? This is such a difficult topic. And it is heavy and it's burdensome. But God, we know that you, if we take upon your yoke, you will lift that burden up from us. And you will give us rest. God, would you give us the courage? Would you give us the ability to see you through the mess of the conveniences? And to be willing to give up just for a temporary time to experience the grounding of your truth in our lives. As we build our, our house upon the rock, the foundation that you are. God, would you go before us? Would you, would you lift us up to experience your peace and joy? Father, we love you and we praise you. It's through the power of Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Friends, would you join me? Would you join me as we finish? Let's say this together. May God himself... The God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Be blessed and experience the greater in light of the lesser. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.